Hey everyone, my name is Jason Parker, and I want to welcome you to the Coastal Church Podcast. I'm super excited for you to hear this message. We believe that God wants to speak to us, and we hope that you're open to hear what he has to say to you today. Enjoy. Is the Plaid Army here tonight? Any, any Plaid Army kicking around? <clears throat> Man, you guys are a good bunch, but you're not a subtle bunch. There's nothing like standing in a foyer in Yarmouth Wesleyan and seeing the Coastal crew come rolling in. It uh, was... And uh, at least one baptism from Coastal, two baptisms from Coastal, and uh, as only Coastal people can, as soon as he could get getting ready to get baptized, the Platt Army stood up, <laughs> blocking the view for 300 people. <laughs> You're respecters of nobody, I see. But you know what? Those baptism candidates knew they were supported, Amen. knew they were loved, knew they were cared for. Please don't lose that. Uh, I hear it's Pastor Appreciation Month. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but you have an awesome pastoral team. Uh, even part of last night, James was down there leading in worship. Uh, there's something on that guy. Did you guys know that? I heard he preached just a rip-roaring home run last week. So I, I don't know if I should preach with James in the room, right, James? I feel, I feel second-guessing here. Uh, and Alex Matchchat has to be the Swiss Army knife of ministry. Like, I see her in kids' ministry. Then I hear she's an administrative wizard. Uh, she can preach, too. And then I show up, and she's on the worship team. I have, like, one gift and I am milking it for all it's worth. And apparently Alex has all of the gifts. Uh, and then there's Parker. What do you say about Pastor Jason? Now, he whispered to me that you guys are going way above and beyond for pastor appreciation. He said you guys are just pouring it on thick. He said you should stop. He said, AJ, when you get to preach, tell them I'm too blessed. And whatever else they were going to give to me, they should give to you. <laughs> so from the words in the mouth of Jason, you've blessed him enough. It's my turn. <laughs> Send it my way. Uh, living from purpose. Do you catch the subtlety in the name? Living from purpose. Not living for purpose, not living on purpose, living from purpose. What we've been saying over the last couple weeks, if you've been journeying with us, uh, back in the first week, and uh, I believe Jason preached the first one, uh, a quick like 30-second snapshot is that in Genesis 1-1, this, this part is still hitting me hard. Uh, somewhere in the throne room of heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit were having a conversation. And they said... We should make something in our image. That's you and me. I don't know how that hits you, but we were made in the image of God. Whatever narrative you've been told, maybe a lie that's been tried to be sold to you, you were made in the image of God. Your image comes from image. But if you keep reading in Genesis chapter one, we're not just made in the image of God, that's true, but if you catch there in, in, in chapters two, when he's talking about, let us make male and female, let us make them uh, in our image, and then he says, uh, they should have dominion. 
That is to rule over the creation that is around us. You were placed in the garden. We were placed in the garden to rule, to reflect God's image, to rule, to reign, to care for, to tend to the garden that God created. That was your purpose. And what we've been saying through this series is that we're not inviting you to follow your dreams. We're not inviting you to follow your heart. We're not inviting you to go look somewhere else uh, in this world. We're asking you to turn to your heavenly father, the one who made you, the image you bear, and the purpose you've received. Ask him, what would he have of you? Last week, James preached about Moses and the burning bush. Were you here for that sermon? The burning bush, uh, God shows up to Moses, uh, calls him to come close, gets him to take his sandals off, he's on holy ground, and then he says the words like, come, then go. Like, come close, and then go. I'm gonna send you into Egypt, and your purpose, I am sending you for a specific purpose, for a specific time, that you are being sent into Egypt to lead my people out of captivity into freedom. And I don't know the exact way that James phrased it, but what I said to our people last Sunday is that God loves calling ordinary people for special purposes. Uh, we are not special people. We worship a special God. We are ordinary people who are asked to do extraordinary things because he is extraordinary. He goes with us. His hand is on us. He gifts us and his, he equips us. Now, I don't know how you felt sitting here last Sunday night. I don't know if the thought that God might reach down and ask you to do something specifically, I don't know if that excites you. I don't know if that makes you tremble in fear. I know when I was a kid, the thought that if I gave my life to God, for me, I grew up in church. We had, did you guys have missionary weekend? Did you grow up in church where there was a missionary weekend? When I grew up in church, the missionaries that we supported would come into the church. Uh, they would show us a slideshow of 287 photos. 46 of them were turned sideways. 34 were upside down. And they'd go click, 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 click. And they'd go through all the slides. And somewhere in their presentation, they would say something to the effect I knew God was calling me and I was hesitating to listen to God because I knew if I gave my life to God, I knew he would send me to Africa. And I thought, no, thank you. <laughs> and there are people in this room that hesitate to bend their knee to God, not because they don't believe he's real and not because they don't believe he loves them. They're nervous what he might ask them to do. And so maybe you sat last week hearing James preach about how God calls people for special assignments. You think, I, I don't want a special assignment. Maybe for others of you, you, you are thinking in the room, I would love to have a burning bush moment. I would love to be walking somewhere and have God show up powerfully, call my name, and tell me what to do. And some of you would say, if I knew it was God for sure, I would do it. But what do you do if he doesn't show up? What do you do if you're looking for direction, you're looking for your assignment, you're looking for the thing he's called and asked of you, but he's not saying anything? What if you find yourself wandering a little bit? You find yourself stuck in life where it feels like Groundhog Day. Get up every day, same routine, same work, same spouse, <laughs> same junky car, around and around, and you're like, oh, is this it? 
Is this all there is? Why do some people get called for special assignments and special purposes and do these great things and I'm just stuck here grinding it out? If you have ever felt in the room, like, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know what this is all about. I would love to have a, I have a word for you, I think, tonight. Uh, I would love to preach to all the people who feel a bit wandering tonight. You don't know where you're going and what's next. Let's dive into 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles with you, uh, you're in the dark. Good luck reading them. If you have your phones with you, pull your phones out. If you brought your iPad with you, whatever it is you bring with you, uh, it is good to see the scriptures and mark them up, and I'm guessing they'll be behind me as well. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I want to read to you a very short passage uh, that might help clarify your purpose, depending on where you're sitting tonight. But in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and for those who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God... And there's one mediator between God and, God and men, the man Christ Jesus. I don't know if you're new to church or not, but in your Bible and in my Bible, in the New Testament, letters get, uh, get their name for one of two purposes. It's either the author's name or the recipient's name. It's either the person maybe who's writing it out like Peter or it's the person who's receiving it, even a people group like Romans or Corinthians. Those are people who are receiving the letter, not who is sending it. In this case, 1 Timothy, the book that you all quickly grabbed your phones to read, as none of your faces are glowing, this is Paul writing to Timothy. Paul is the Paul that you know of in the New Testament, writes half of the New Testament Bible, plants all these great churches, the great missionary, the great apostle, the great leader. And Timothy is a younger protege. In some passages where Paul writes about Timothy, the bond between them is so strong, it's almost father and son-like. There's a spiritual bond between them. I'm thankful for my, for my birth parents, but I have got spiritual parents who love me and care for me and walk beside me. And Paul and Timothy are not blood-related, but there's such a bond between them, Paul will often call him like his son or his spiritual son. And so he sends young Timothy to the church in Ephesus. There's challenges there. It's a young church. It's growing. It's in a city. There's opposition creeping in. If you read 1 Timothy chapter 1, one of the oppositions is false and bad teaching. And so this church is getting off the rails. There's infighting. And young Timothy finds himself leading it. And 1 Timothy is the older mentor writing to the young leader to how to navigate the choppy waters at this church. So there's your context. And all the things that Paul could say to Timothy, all the advice he could give him of how to run great meetings and how to preach and how to steward his finances and how to navigate conflict, here's the advice wise Paul gives Timothy. First, pray. Isn't that something? You ever see those shirts people wear when all else fails? Pray. You ever seen those? I think Paul would beg to differ. I think Paul would say, before all fails, pray. I think Paul would say, before you do anything, pray. Before you start out, pray. For all the advice, pray. 
Now, he gives it in a fourfold way as you scroll your Bible on your phone. He says, supplications, prayer, thanksgiving, intercession. We're going to do a sermon series in the new year on prayer and the, 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 the wide margins for the kinds of prayer that we can kind of participate in. And you can look at supplications. It is good to pray for the things you need. It is good to pray for your emotional, spiritual, physical, mental, financial, kids, family, work, whatever you need. It is good to ask for supplications that God would supply and bless where you lack. That's right and good. And to pray for other people. Paul says, just throws out the word prayer. You should just talk to God. He also says thanksgiving. Our prayers should include the things that we are thankful for. And I don't know about you, sometimes I'm so quick to pray for the next need, I forget to look back on yesterday and see how he's provided. God is providing, but truth be told, sometimes we're on to the next need, are we not? Next need, next need. And if you are always fixated on your next need, gratitude shrinks, the fuel for prayer shrinks. I can't speak for you, but one of the things that fuels my prayer for tomorrow is to see how God answered my prayers yesterday. That he is faithful. He is good. He is moving. He is leading people into the saving knowledge of him. The church is not shrinking. The church is moving forward. He's doing stuff. I have to look backward to keep feeling myself to go forward. Then there's the word intercession. That's kind of a stretching us out of our comfort zone. There are times when we pray that we aren't just praying for people. We are almost standing in the gap and embodying the needs of that person. There are people in this room and in your community that have stopped praying, not because they're bad Christians, not because they don't know better. There are people who stop praying because they're so beat up and discouraged. And to tell them to buck up, pray more, and read your Bible is not helpful. Sometimes the most honest thing they can say is I have nothing to say to God. And you step in the gap. You feel what they are feeling. You embody what they are going through. And on their behalf, you turn your face to the Father and you pray to the Father as if you were that person. And maybe by God's grace, he might actually whisper something down to you that you might have the privilege of whispering in their ear straight from the Father. This is such a humbling moment when we get to stand in the gap for people who are discouraged or going through a trial or a crisis and we get to kind of weasel in there for a moment and pray on behalf of people we love and care for. Now, while he lists four different ways that you and I can pray, I'm not sure his primary purpose is to build his theological treaty on prayer. Uh, this is not all the ways we can pray. This is not meant to be that. I think what Paul is doing is he is uh, writing to Timothy and he's saying like, there are all these ways that we can be talking to the Father about our people. And I think what he's trying to, pray, uh, to teach is not just here's the ways you can pray. I think he's trying to press upon Timothy, I want you to be a person of prayer. What he's trying to say is I want you to be praying at all times, in all seasons, in all ways. See, I think for you and I, a lot of times, our prayer life is moments. I don't know how you run your day, but for some of you, let me ask you, for some of you, do you start your day with quiet time with the Lord? Is that a thing some of you do? You sit down, you make a great cup of coffee, or if you're me, just Keurig, just cheap Keurig coffee, and you pump it out real quick, you grab your coffee, you grab your Bible, and you grab your chair. Do you have a special chair you sit in? 
You should have a special chair. You sit in your special chair and you open the Bible and you talk to the Father and you have your prayer because you know that if you don't have your prayer before the kids come down, you might send one of them to go meet Jesus. <laughs> so Lord, give me the strength and give it to me now because I hear footsteps coming. Or some of you know, like, if I go to work without my time of prayer, I'll lose it. I need that rooting time in prayer. Anybody here like that? That, that is a moment of prayer. For some of you, you pause before you take a bite of any food and you bless the food before you eat it. Like, I'm gonna pause and I will not take a bite before I give thanks to the Father who has blessed me with this meal. That is a moment of prayer. For some of you, maybe as parents or grandparents, one of the moments of prayers you love is when you get to tuck your kids or grandkids into bed and you get to sit there and read them a scripture or a story, and you get to pray over that innocent life, and that is a sacred moment of prayer. And sometimes our prayer life are these dots on our day, these moments of prayer. And I think what Paul is pushing Timothy into is that is all great and good. But I think what Paul is nudging Timothy into, and I want to nudge us into, is that as you mature in your faith, you don't just live on the moment dots of prayer in your day. You actually embody a life of prayer. Here's what I mean by that. If you shift from moments of prayer to a life in prayer, that morning time when you sit down with your cup of coffee in your favorite chair with your favorite Bible and you pray, I'm guessing almost all of you, if not exclusively across, you pray, then you say this, in Jesus' name, amen. a life of prayer doesn't end with in Jesus' name, amen. It ends with dot, dot, dot. Because you know you're going to pick up the conversation in a few moments. And you're going to be driving to work. And you're going to see the truck going by of your neighbor, of a friend, of a coworker, And you know they're going through a difficult time. And dot, 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 you just pick up the prayer. Father, it's me again. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for old Johnny. I'm praying for Susan. There she goes. And I know they're going through a difficult time. And you start praying for that person you're driving. You get to work and you dot, 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 and you walk into work and you're kind of walking through the hallways and you could walk through the hallways, head down. You could go to your post. You could tend to your pots. You could do your thing with your head down, go about your business. Or as a life of prayer, you could be prayerfully minded going through that same ritual, looking for opportunities to pray over the day and the people around you. For some of you, you're gonna go to work this week and your boss is gonna pull you into his office or her office, and you know your boss doesn't pay you what you're worth. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and you know your boss doesn't appreciate you. And you and I both know you could do your boss's job 10 times better if they just get out of the way. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but a life of prayer, you're going to be sitting there this week and be thinking, I've got one ear open to the Father, and I've got one ear open to my boss. And they are cranky, and they are nasty at times, and they don't appreciate me, but Father, what are you saying about this person? Father, I wonder what kind of stress my boss is carrying today. I wonder what kind of day he's having at home with his family or her family. I wonder if the company's going through difficult times and maybe they're chewing me out and it's got nothing to do with me. Father, what are you seeing in this person that I could be praying into right now quietly? My boss may never know, but I'm just gonna be in, a, in this moment of prayer. You come home that night and you're making supper and you're preparing your food for kids who will not appreciate it and probably won't even eat it. 
and you're making your supper and you know the family's not going to appreciate it. You've made 247 meals and nobody has said a word about it. But you're in a life of prayer and you're not just making supper, you're praying over your family who's about to gather around the table. You're just praying about their day, praying through the things they're going through. And all of a sudden, the whole thing shifts. This moves from these moments of prayer, which are good, it slides into a life of prayer. Do you have people in your life that you are so close with, you text them without greetings or farewell? I've got people in my life that I can just text. I never address them. I just start talking. It could be any time of day. I just start into my diatribe. And when I'm done, I just put my phone on and walk away. Now, they think I could be dead. I just stop answering. I've walked away. And I'll pick the conversation up. And we'll just keep it going again. Do you have these people in your life that you just slide in and of a text conversation with? This is what your Heavenly Father wants with you and I to slide in and out of conversations as you go through your day. Because Paul says to Timothy, we're going to pray in all ways at all times for all people. All these people you've been placed around are not placed around you by accident. They are your opportunity to be praying for them. I don't know if you've noticed this. This might shock you. It's true in Yarmouth. It might not be true in Barrington. People are really difficult. Now, please don't tell anybody in Barrington I said this, but sometimes they're downright annoying. <laughs> Just sometimes. And sometimes we can have grudges, feuds, oppositions, enemies. And we get so weary of our small town saying the same people that drive us crazy day after day. I want to guarantee something to you. If you want to shift how you feel in your relationships, in your community, in your family, in your life, start praying for the people in your family, in your community, in your life. It is really, really hard to not like the person when you start praying for them. It is really difficult to stay in a feud with somebody when you're lifting them up before the Father. That neighbor who gets on your last nerve you can keep feuding out for years to come or every time you get in your truck, you can pause for that moment and just offer the prayer for that neighbor. And here's what I'm gonna say to you. It might not shift them right away. It will shift you right away. Now, here's I'm gonna give you a freebie. Have you read Psalms recently? Psalms teaches us how to pray because God's not interested in your fake prayers with good theology. Your first prayers for your neighbor might sound like this. Dear God, wipe them off the face of the earth. <laughs> I've read my Bible. Have you read yours? Have you read Psalms? Whatever bold prayer you think you want to pray, but you just could not offend God, try him. God would rather you pray the most honest, rough, very rough prayer than to fake it with good theology. I promise you, if you start praying with God, take my boss out and take him out this week. If you start there, I promise you, you won't stay there. As you keep praying, your heart will be softened and you will move down the line. Paul says, pray, we're gonna pray for all people. And then, I don't know if you've met Paul before, he is wildly annoying. Check your Bible, my Bible says, and pray for all people, especially kings and people in positions of authority. 
I'm in Barrington, right? <laughs> Do you know what that means? Well, say something if you know what that means. <laughs> if, if Paul was here tonight, if Paul was writing a letter to Coastal tonight and to Yarmouth Wesley and to South Church, do you know what he would say? And we're gonna pray and give thanksgiving for all people, especially for the prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're awake now, are we? <laughs> you know that, right? Y yes? You don't like it, do you? Me neither. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for the people that I love. I want to pray for the people that I like. You want me to pray for Jason? No problem. I'll pray for Jason all day long because I you know what? He'll probably pray for me. I love when it's reciprocated. What do you do when God asks you to pray for somebody who is working in your opposition? Now, let me get, since we're, since we're right into the deep water, let me just get right into your business. I was preaching this morning at Yarmouth Wesleyan, like I'm preaching here tonight. And I said to the church, you know, I'm preaching in Yarmouth publicly with no fear of any pushback. This morning's sermon at 11 was being streamed online for the world or the 13 people who are watching it live. <laughs> Easy peasy. When Paul said to Timothy, pray for the kings and people in high positions of authority, those people were actively working against the church. Persecution, jail, beheading. Sometimes I can't get a summer grant. Church, we're being inconvenienced. They were being persecuted. And Paul says, you better pray. For the government you like, for the government you don't like, for the government that supports you, the government that works against you. Here's what I think Paul would say to you and to me tonight. Do you disagree with your government? Pray more. Do you think the world's going to hell in a handbasket? Pray more, not less. I don't know about you, has our grumbling ever led to anything beneficial? In Barrington? Doesn't in Yarmouth. There are coffee shops all over Yarmouth filled with people with a million opinions on what the government should do, leading to zero effect. What if the church prayed more and grumbled less? Should I keep moving on, church? Keep to the next point. He goes on to say that we should live quiet, godly, peaceful lives that are dignified in every way. You wonder what our purpose is? He says, we're going to pray as a lifestyle. We're going to live godly, quiet, peaceful, dignified lives. Where? Everywhere. What Paul is saying is that if you don't have your burning bush moment, if you don't know what the next thing God would have you do, here's beyond a shadow of a doubt, I will tell you, church, what God's will for every single person in this room who says they're a Christian. Tomorrow morning, well, tonight, but 
immediately God's will for your life is that you would live a quiet, godly, peaceful, dignified life. Coastal Church, did you know the way you drive your trucks matters to God? Coastal Church, did you know that the way you get your coffee and the way you pay for it matters to God? Did you, what's it called, Captain Jack's? Captain Cats, I was close. <laughs> Captain somebody. Did you know, while I don't know the name of the place, did you know that when you are sitting there and the waiter or waitress brings you the wrong meal for the third time, how you respond in that moment matters to God? Coastal Church, did you know that the way you interact on Facebook and the way you comment and speak to each other matters to God. Did you know the way you speak to government leaders and officials matters to God? The way you speak to your spouse tonight when you go home, and your kids and your grandkids, and your coworkers and the captains and the crew, when you pump your gas and you run inside, all those things matter to God, all of it. Paul Paul, on his, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. Do you know what I picture Paul? I picture Paul pouring his Cheerios out in the morning because Cheerios are the only cereal a man should ever eat. <laughs> pouring his Cheerios out, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna eat these Cheerios to the glory of God. I'm gonna sip my coffee to the glory of God. What he's trying to say is all the details matter. Now, you should say, why? You could also say, who cares? Who cares how I drive my truck? It's my truck. I hear you. Paul says to Timothy, it is good and pleasing that we do this because God desires all people to be saved. Here's the good news for you, church. Your life matters. You're not stuck in a groundhog day. Your life matters. The way you move about Barrington and the municipality, hear me, preaches and said, says things about the God you serve and the God you love. A third of you are wearing coastal hats. What does that speak when you go into a restaurant or a place of business and then fire something off like, oh, one of the coastal people are here again? Or... You walk in wearing that coastal hat and you know that waiter or waitress is having a miserable day, but you look in their eyes, you use their name and you ask them a question that matters. It preaches and it speaks to your God. It matters. Here's the alternative. If you feel like that's a calling too high, here's the alternative. The alternative is that your life doesn't matter. Do what you want. The alternative is for God or for Paul to write to Timothy, I don't care what the people do. Who cares? I cannot imagine anything more depressing than to hear that my life doesn't matter. Your life matters to what God is doing to reconcile people to himself in Barrington and the municipality and the region. Here's I'll say it one step further. The way you live will say more about the God you serve than any sermon that Jason will preach. Your life preaches far more than his best sermon any day of the week. 
I'll end with this thought for you. It's been challenging me all week. I've been thinking about the burning bush moment with Moses. I've, I've wanted my own burning bush for a while. Like God, show up and say something fresh and new in a powerful and significant way. And he's not doing it right now. And then I kind of realized, do you know what Moses was doing before the burning bush? He was quietly living his life. Do you know what he was doing? Tending to his father-in-law's flock. Dare I say, dare I say it so clearly as this, maybe God wouldn't have given him his burning bush moment if he didn't see Moses living quiet, godly, peaceful, in a dignified life when nobody was watching. Church, what if all the mundane and ordinary parts of your life is the training ground for the burning bush moments that we seem to want so badly? So church, I don't know where you're at on your journey. I don't know what you want God to say to you or what you want him to call you into. But until he does, until he shows up in a powerful way and says, I'm requesting you to do this, until that happens, Coastal Church, may you pray. May you live quiet and godly and peaceful lives, dignified in every way, because your life matters. We really hope that this message has motivated you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus and has inspired you to join us in our mission to take Jesus into every community of Southwest Nova. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to know how you can get involved, send us an email at office at coastalchurchns.com. We'd love to get connected with you. Have a great day.